Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on this Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining me now, our guy, Freddie Coleman, ESPN radio host, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, brother. How's everything with you? Things have been things have been better. It's been a trying last couple of days. Last night, working late election night coverage, and then I went to the Patriots game with my fiance over the weekend. One of the worst travel experiences ever. The hotel, so it's almost 80 degrees on Saturday, right? The hotel for this season has turned off the air and has turned the heat on. So the room is 76 degrees all night long. The guy at dinner in front of us wouldn't stop talking about politics and COVID at the world's largest decibel level. And then the fire alarm went off at 630 in the morning. Jeez, I mean, at a certain point, shouldn't they give you restitution for what you had to deal with that whole weekend, even though it was only for one night? I'm working on it. Trust me, I'm working on it. Wow. I mean, the, the guy in front of you, you can't do anything about because people are just going to people. Or as I like to say, Brady, <laughs> humans are going to humans. But the other stuff, there should be some kind of final institution for you. Well, I'm certainly I'm certainly working on it. And on top of it, while I'm glad the Patriots won, you talk about among the most boring possible NFL games to see in person. That For a 26-3 game, for a, or, for, or rather, for a game where 26 points were scored by the winning team, you you have never been more bored. I mean, I was trying to watch the game on regular TV, and this is one of the reasons why I'm glad that I have Sunday ticket because <laughs> I was able to watch the Bills versus the Jets, and it was a far better game than that. And I could also scroll around to other games because I tried to stay awake during the Patriots-Colts game midway through the second quarter. I said, thank God I got something else to watch. <laughs> the Patriots had 91 yards at halftime, and the Colts had less than that. So it was it was ugly for sure. Hey, let's just, let's just bounce around a couple of different things right now. Uh, after all the talk of the last week and a half, the Nets are not hiring Ime Udoka. What do you think happened here? It is hardest thing they've done, Brady, in a long, long time because at a certain point, when you got everything going on with Kyrie Irving and this organization has been trying to push that boulder uphill that they put in front of themselves constantly, I think the last thing you need was to bring a more controversial person to your organization, no matter what kind of coach Emil Doka has shown to be when it comes to the Boston Celtics for one year and getting into the NBA Finals. So it was the smartest move to say we got a jock on who was on the staff before they decided to hire Steve Nash and why they didn't hire him in the beginning after replacing Kenny Atkinson made absolutely no sense to me. But the last thing you need is an organization that always seems to be in the middle of chaos is to bring a more chaotic situation to what you have going on. It is the smartest thing they've done in a long, long time to bring that kind of centeredness when it comes to your organization, not only on the basketball court, but off the basketball court. Let's stick with Kyrie Irving. So Jalen Brown getting some grief for... I don't know if defending Kyrie Irving is the right way of putting it, but he's upset with the parameters the Nets have issued for reinstatement. Is this just a case of Jalen Brown is with the uh, with the NBA PA and they have to defend their guys no matter what, or is the, the criticism justified? Well, the criticism is justified, but it's more the former instead of the latter. And I said this last night on the show with Ian Fitzsimmons, Brady, and Ian was exercised about Jalen Brown saying, maybe you should stay out of it. I said, Jalen Brown, is going to fight for somebody that is a vice president of the NBA Players Association. The last thing you want is to have somebody, no matter what you think of Kyrie Irving, believing that he's out there all by himself. And it was also a clear case to me that no matter what people think of Kyrie Irving, whether it's true or not true, fair or unfair, Brady, 
You haven't heard any NBA players say they don't like Kyrie Irving or they don't want to be around him. They even take all the stuff that he says and they just brush it off with a grain of salt and everything like that. That's why I go back to what I've always said about Kyrie Irving. I don't think he's a bad guy. He just does a lot of says a lot of bad and stupid things. But there are plenty of NBA players that don't mind being around him. And by Jalen Brown coming out and making it public that he wants to make sure that everything is going to be fair for Kyrie Irving to be with the Brooklyn Nets and he let the parameters put in place. You clearly understand exactly why you haven't heard a lot of players say anything against Kyrie Irving, but more guys speaking up for him despite what he was able to put out there. They've been honest about it, but that doesn't mean they don't like Kyrie Irving when it's all said and done. What do you make of the last week for the Boston Bruins, the whole Mitchell Miller situation? I think it was by Cam Neely when he said, we should have done a better job betting out this guy. And you hate to have somebody pay for the sins of the past, but if you're the Boston Bruins and you knew that that was a part of his, I don't want to say DNA, but part of his past and part of his history, you got to do a better job of protecting your organization, the image of that organization. Because once the minute that they decided to sign on with him, then we started to hear these reports coming out. They made sure that mistake was not going to be in the building. But they said the right thing by saying we should have done a better job betting this out because we could have avoided this whole thing. And I don't know if I feel sorry for Miller or not sorry for Miller. I will say this. I would hate to think that somebody would go through the rest of their life being punished for that. But it's a clear, clear life lesson that things you've done in the past could haunt you in the future. You did something along those lines. And more than ever before, what you put out there, what you say to people, you better make sure that or you're wrong or you apologize, but you can't allow those things to come back to haunt you when it's all said and done because eventually they do. You know, I don't know if I'm making a good analogy or not on this, but I've kind of equated it to, to Michael Vick. And, you know, there are going to be people that are never, ever going to forgive Michael Vick, and there are going to be people that never wanted him back in the NFL. But there's also a lot of people that said, look, he paid his time to society. He worked with animal rights groups. He donated money. He was, you know, looked at as, a, as an ally to animal rights groups. And there were people that forgave him or at least welcomed him back, welcomed him back in. If Mitchell Miller took those kind of steps and that road to rehabilitation, I do believe there would be a spot for him in the, in the NHL. He just doesn't appear to have taken those steps yet. Is that a fair analogy? It's completely fair, and remember this. It also depends on how talented you are. If Michael Vick was just a run-of-the-mill quarterback, he could have done all those things and not one team to take a chance on him. For example, you look at Ray Rice and what he put himself in the middle of. If Ray Rice's average per carry over his career turned out to be over four and a half yards per carry, he would have still been the Baltimore Ravens with another NFL team. But because his yards per carry was below four, they did not believe that his performance and his talent was worth the risk. The same thing with Miller. I don't think there's any doubt about him being a talented individual. Somebody's going to give him an opportunity if he decides to take those steps. If he decides not to do that, then you know what? That's his deal, and somebody's not going to want to be a part of that. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does going forward, what he says going forward. If he sticks to his guns and decides that he doesn't have anything to apologize for, then he better find a new line of work to try to make a living. As for the Patriots, Bill Belichick with some interesting comments yesterday that basically the last two weeks he's felt defensive players have decoded the Patriots' playbook and have known what's coming. Does this sound like more dysfunction for the Pats' offense or just this happens all the time by good NFL players who study film? Just because I've never heard that before from Bill Belichick because even a team can know Brady what you're doing, but they still have to stop it. So when you put that out there, that's Bill Belichick's way of trying to let everybody know that he's going to take all the bullets and arrows and keep them away from Mac Jones, keep them away from Matt Patricia, keep them away from Joe Judge, and a struggling offense. 
it's very, very calculated by design. Bill Belichick is one of the most calculating people we've ever seen and heard of when it comes to the world of sports. He's going to do everything he can to make sure that more attention and more pressure is not going to be foisted upon his offense. I know why he said that. But let's get to his offense. They believe you stopped the running game. Right now, Mac Jones and those wide receivers are not enough to tilt the field against the defense, and everybody knows that. So they got a deacon dunk trying to get yards and trying to get first downs and trying to get touchdowns. Everybody knows that about the Patriots. This is Bill Belichick's way of making sure that more attention is not going to be paid to an offense. He does not have any kind of answers how to unlock this struggling offense and make it the kind of offense you're going to need, not just in the AFC, but specifically in the AFC East. You know, Freddie, I don't expect one game in everybody to have their uh... – you know, their, their full pulse on college basketball. But I'll say this, UVM is 1-0. They won by 15 on their opener. They're headed out to California for a brutal three-game stretch. They're going to see St. Mary's tomorrow night. They're going to see Cal State Fullerton uh, on Sunday. And they're going to see USC on Tuesday. I believe that's three tournament teams. Yeah, three tournament teams from a year ago. USC just got beat in their opener by Florida Gulf Coast by 15 Am I supposed to think that maybe uh, UVM has a chance against USC in that uh, in the last game of the three-game stretch? The three-game stretch, I might say, you know, they got a puncher's chance. But when you got that kind of road trip where you get a chance to go out to California and play those three teams that you mentioned, including a Cal State Fullerton team that won the Big West Conference last year and got to the NCAA tournament, it's going to be the kind of stretch you're going to need. But I will say this. If Aaron Delaney plays the way he did in the opening game against Brown, they won't have any problems because he was unbelievable scoring over 30 points. He was terrific on the three-point line, was able to get downhill in the second half and make those kind of plays. So if he plays anywhere near that for a guy that was the America East sixth man of the year, then all of a sudden it won't be as daunting. But it's just break with a one and two record. But these kind of games and these you as you get into December and then you get into conference play. That's why you play these kind of games where you want to win. You're not trusting that you're going to throw, go 3-0 and on the road trip, but it's going to steal your team for a very, very tough America East Conference coming up in 2023. 32 points for Deloney on opening night. I was there 11 of 14 from the floor, Freddie. Yeah, exactly. He was an efficient player. When you can score 32 <laughs> points and you only take 14 shots, that is a very, very efficient player. And TJ Sorrentine was in the building as the assistant coach of Browns. Yeah. You know he was saying... I used to do that back in this place when I was running hard with Taylor, Taylor Coppenrath and when we were doing things with UVM. So it was really cool. He had a chance to get the announcement from the crowd. And then Deloney was unbelievable just taking apart Brown and helping UVM open up the season with a victory. Freddie, man, we appreciated a full breadth of knowledge and a full breadth of conversation. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, weeknights, 9 p.m. Freddie, man, we appreciate it. Enjoy the, uh, enjoy the week of sports. We'll talk to you in seven days. It sounds good, my friend. And get some rest because Lord knows you've earned it from the last weekend and the past couple of nights. And luckily the ankle was good enough to walk all around Foxborough. I'm out for tomorrow's semifinal game, but if we win, I'm hoping to be back for Monday's championship game. Okay, well, tell your team to hold it down in your presence because they're going to need you out there in the floor to get that shift <laughs> on Monday. All right. Freddie, thank you. My brother, brother. Thank you. Talk to you soon.